Hey everybody, I'm Oliver Bateman yet again, and welcome to a special episode of What's Left. They're all special. This one is very special because we have the writer, I, I was recently on her show, uh, Catherine D is here. You might know her on Twitter as Default Friend. She's got a Substack. She's in a lot of the magazines that, that you guys read. You know the ones that are all out and about these days. And I'm bringing her on because she has a background in a topic that we've never really discussed on here. I mean, we've talked a little bit about you know families and getting married or this or that or some of the guests have. But uh, Catherine, you, I guess was something you wrote a lot about or something that you talked a lot about at one point was this idea of, and I think it also ties into your, your nickname on Twitter, default friend. There's a story behind that in some way or shape or form that we'll, we'll get into, but what, what, what is sex negativity? What the, what the heck is that? Oh my God. So I wrote this. I mean, this was just like a totally like, uh, like schizo blog post I wrote. How long right? ago? Like two years ago at this okay. point. I didn't very strategically choose the name, right? Um, but I was noticing that the way people on social media were talking about sex, it was it was starting to become a little bit more um, a little more prudish, right? I mean, it was more than just the usual suspects like the trads. It was also like normies, right? And I and I had this thought. I was like, all right the media outlets are going to change their tune from being sex positive pro hookup culture, you know, anything goes to more critical. And so I was just, and I was like, I've just got to fire this out. I've just got to like get this idea down on paper. Um, and yeah. And then that, and then for some reason that blog post total, it's like not, it's like a list of like, I don't know, like 30 predictions about how I think the conversation is going to change. It reads like it was written by someone who was having like Adderall psychosis and it, it might've been, who knows. Right. Um, and it ends up in the New York times like four times. <laughs> and then I, I don't know. Then I had an audience. So what, how has this, has this played out as, as you've expected have mainstream magazines and like we could, and like, what is this? Is another thing I, I've wondered about myself. Like what is, what does it mean for, for the mainstream media to become more, prudish right because it seems like on the one hand we we talk about sexuality in more places than ever before and people are always trying to get to the bottom of their identity vis-a-vis sex in some form or fashion but there is some in some respects also kind of a it's it's very chaste in a way or it's very sexless in, in a way at the same time so you know you're sort of you're sort of doing both like you know there's like a sex saturation um, or and certainly we grew up against the backdrop of a of a sex saturation, but at the same time, it, there's there's less sexual activity going on. And I guess some of the research or some of the studies that keep coming out show, you know, kids in, in various generational cohorts below the uh, exennials there, and I guess everybody in general uh, seem to be having less intimate activity over time. Or so they that's that's the reporting. Who knows if that's true? I don't have cameras in their rooms, so I can't verify. Myself. I mean, if only I could, I could make a ton on OnlyFans selling the streams. But if anything's going down there, maybe it's not. But so it is is what, what is what have you seen going on? I mean, are we in a more are we in a more chaste culture, both from the trad side and the like, you know, sex, uh, 
sexuality crowd, the identity crowd? Like, or are we in a more sexual time or what? what well, it's, what's it's, going so, on? so it's weird because sex has become so like abstracted in a way um, that you've also seen like sort of this sexual energy get like rechanneled into weird things. Like there's something that I like to call like non-pornographic porn, which is something that has like the energy of porn, but it's like a cooking video. Um, and there's, huh. yeah, yeah. There's, and, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Like for example, the way people talked about getting vaccinated. Um, I mean, I got totally like hounded about this, but there's something very like libidinal about that. Um, You're you know, getting the, jabbed, getting poked. Yeah, right. Alchie, you know? Alchie. It, and it, it's like, it's a super weird thing. So like sex has become de-sexed and, and partially, partially as a, so it's become de-sexed, but at the same time, it's sort of like too open to sort of abstract. Um, you know, it's like we could talk about kinks in mainstream mm-hmm. publication in a, in a way that is just like totally unheard of, but it's so like divorced from like taboo and desire. That's right. Like I'm, I, you know, like I like to wear like a, I like to wear like a felt, a felt suit. And, uh, you know, sniff, uh, sniff smegma from the foreskin of a penis, but there's nothing I could say that here. And like, there's right. nothing that you could publish that in like New York magazine and nothing. It, it is like you said, it's weirdly divorced. May I think like, you're kind of like, well, okay. All right. Um, interesting. You shared that. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a super, it's, it's super weird. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's why, right. Like why people can talk about like cannibalism kinks was like sort of the moment for me. I was like, we're past the point of no return. Like Are the those old- picking up? Are those on the rise eating people? <laughs> no, it was like someone me too'd army hammer. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He had a little bit of uh, I remember that he had a little bit yeah. of uh, wanting to eat people or uh, eat. I guess type of thing. Not like the guy in Germany that ate the other guy right. from the Craigslist ad or it was whatever. It's like a role play. Yeah, but like a sort of cannibal role play. That's not really that sexual. I don't I mean It was for him. I don't know. It was I guess like it is for him. Yeah, I'm yeah. not judging him or anything, but like not that's not gonna once upon a time like I don't think that would get people's you know, in the pre internet era, I don't think that would get a lot of people going. A lot of these things would, you know. I mean, it's it, it on the pre. It, it feels like things have been like dredged up from like the corners, you know, just like the you know, just absolute like the depths of the the sexual sea and have seen light that they shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, stuff that has been buried in the old internet that we we talked about on your show, or like the middle middle aged internet or the internet of today. Uh, you would like in the old internet days, and we talked about this previously. You know, something like this could be found or you'd see something like an artifact of this or maybe a weird image circulates. And I I mean, it might be you might turn it into a lighthearted meme or we might all just note like, well, this is kind of uh, it's a bit depraved, but not in the way that we're just going to go out and condemn it all the time. It's just kind of a thing we knew about thanks to the Internet. Like we all know about, you know, this this type of this type of thing. And then. You know, in 2022, it can just show up in a confessional personal essay in a mainstream magazine. Right. As I a mean, real thing. A lot of it's like becomes an identity, too, and is not really like private at all, which is also why like it feels like it's not like truly sexual. Yes. Um, like, I mean, it, like if you look at a lot of um, like poly people, for example, there's something very like neutered about that, even though they're always talking about how much sex they have. And it might be, you know, in the actual act of sex, it, 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 it is satisfying to them in some dimension. 
the way they've sort of advertised it and turned it into a lifestyle seems so kind of like clinical and uninteresting. And it, I mean, it should be interesting. It should be very taboo. It should be like, it should be cool. Even when like total like freak shows do it, it should, there should be something like interesting about it. And that's just totally gone. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece for the old Mike.com, which is now gone, <laughs> I think, in 2015, about a polycule in the uh, the Dallas area. You know, the legal legal issues with, with poly lifestyles uh, was sort of the, the pitch that the editor wanted me to do. And I, I wrote about this, just wrote about several people and a, psychi- a psychologist that teaches poly. And uh, it was very confusing. Like there were these ideas like line families and triads and like consent diagrams and people had schedules for their intimacy or non-intimacy or even sitting in the same room. Um, And there was just a lot of a lot of rulemaking and a lot of other stuff that was built into this that did seem uh, to it seemed just, you know, like like cohabitation or some kind of job, you know, with all of these things built into it. The idea that there's even a book called creating a line family uh, that was sent to me after I wrote this, this article, someone, you know, some poly lifestyle advocate sent it to me and was like, you know, you really need to review this to make sure that you understand uh, in the fine details, how line family works. And uh, you guys that are listening can go look up creating a line family. I think it's on Amazon. It's self-published. Uh, what is, can you, can you even regurgitate? What? It has something to do with the connections being linear rather than circular or something like that between the people in the polycule. So this node goes to here and this one goes to here. So this person's at a point of two and then that person might be at a point of two. And they don't connect from the back two points, you know, it's so like the back two points of the line don't connect, but the middle point of the line, like the other points of the line, like they're each, each point of the line might have multiple points of connection, but they might not necessarily touch each other. Right. So like you can have family, you can have these poly families that are managed uh, with levels of consent through the use of a line that uh, allows like, maybe you think that like Dave's a creep, but two other people in the household don't, and they might be in a relationship with him, but you're in a relationship with one of the women that's in a relationship with Dave down the line. See, like her line goes back to that dot. His, oh, your, that's your so dot's weird. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a way of keeping the peace, I, I guess, among many other things. Um, but fa- I, again, there's more to it than what I'm saying here. And that's actually why I was sent the book. I did a bad job explaining the, the many details of creating a line family, but truly strange. But, but again, I don't think that sounds very fun, you know, or th- yeah. not even fun. I don't know that that sounds very um, like a good use of my private time. I mean, I think there's like also like an interesting thing here about like, you know, engaging in these sort of fringe lifestyles, but like wanting to assimilate, um, but like wanting to assimilate in a really weird way, like wanting society to sort of bend to your uh, unique tastes. Like I was watching Paris is burning recently. Yes. Yes. Um, And I, you know, I thought it was, it was so, it was so interesting to me because the people in that film who want assimilation and want to be seen as uh, you know, biological women, right? Like they don't want the world to, to like, they, they want to be something they're not. And there's some acknowledgement of that. And the tragedy of the film is that they recognize that they, that they can't have what they desire. And yeah, that, that has always a- been the classic understanding. Right. Well, that has been the classic understanding of sort of 
trans experience or whatever it was called at that point in time. Like that's always been, and I mean, there's been works of literature and, you know, musical, even music theater and other things like that. Things like M butterfly, right? Like they're built around this, you know, uh, crying game, things like that are built around right. this tragedy. Even if there's some beauty in the romance uh, or some beauty and, you know, some, some, Tra- but but like tragedy and beauty in a link and things like that. So that that was a part of that experience. Yes. And then there's, and then there's other people in, the, in that same film who are like, look, I'm, you know, I'm not a woman. I'm doing my own thing. I'm, I, I, this is a, the reason I'm in this subculture is because I'm, I don't want to assimilate and I'm not part of the mainstream. Um, and I think like, I think that movie is so valuable just for like, at, you it's know, a historical those two, document right. at this point. Yeah. And those, but those two perspectives where it's like nobody in that film is, tr- is de- making any demands, right? They like, there's a recognition that's like I'm not the norm and that doesn't mean I'm not worthy of respect or protection um, but it's not like it's it's the the struggle central to that is is like you know accepting the the tax that they're going to pay um, and it makes the it makes the other asks which are like really uh, you know obviously reasonable like like mm-hmm. legal protections seem so much more sympathetic and like so much more monstrous to deny because there isn't this sort of demand on like mental acrobatics from everyone else yeah yeah I mean I, I think that that's that's the challenge that people have come up against today and they they find it overwhelming even people that want that from other folks. I think struggle at times to give that to other people who want it, like to be always on and always providing that level of validation. Then like they'll draw their own arbitrary lines when, uh, you know, it's, it's essentially like I, I have a toddler. It's essentially like just, you know, there's something toddler like about it where you're just constantly caving to not just like we're going to concede or I'll do this and you'll do this or, or, you know, you can play and I'll play with you, but I'm not going to be, you know, super interested or something like that. It's got to be like the total acknowledgement. Like it has to be total. It has to be this kind of all consuming validation of, of a self at all times in all respects as that self morphs over, you know, any, you know, any number of permutations that it goes through, but it's always final at any stage that it's in. That's really tough. I think that's really tough for anybody to mentally, conceptualize about even one other person, let alone dozens or hundreds of them that they might know. Yeah. yeah, You know, so I I think that that is, I think that is a challenge. I think we've also lost sense uh, like, like, and that, that that documentary is, is a great, uh, a great artifact for, for that, that reason. I think we've lost sense of the fact that, that certain subcultures, you know, might have wanted to be able to, to be part of something or uh, protected but also understood that that for various reasons they weren't to be part of the mainstream or didn't want to be like right. and that doesn't just go with sexual subcultures that could be gaming subcultures that could be comic subcultures that could be you know internet internet culture subcultures right like all of them understood that something about them might in some cases might separate them from the main and so they don't necessarily fit they, they, they know that like that is part of what makes them part of that subculture, you know, without it, what are they? Right. I mean, I think part of the problem is there is there, there, I mean, there clearly is sort of a mainstream, but I feel like everyone is sort of in their own niche right now. And they're all vying to be part of something that maybe like doesn't exist in the same way as it used to be. Right. There's no more default settings. I think that there's certain like, there's certain like ideological capture that happens and there's maybe like, 
too broad, like umbrella ideologies that your, your specific mm-hmm. subculture falls under, you know, like one or the other, but I don't think there is, there is the same cohesion as there was. Um, I think that movie came out in like 1981, yep. maybe. Um, but yeah but it's definitely there's no mainstream like there was then (laughs) no and then the mainstream then was very easily controlled you know a couple news networks several record companies multiple channels of cultural production certain magazines today there is all of this now i think there is the illusion that there's a bigger mainstream because everything's thrown on the timeline right right so everything's thrown into the feed everything shows up on some kind of netflix like you know, you know, productions or streaming silo, everything is in there. So like you have like bloody anime or, you know, random other thing or premium TV show, cooking show, it's all fucking thrown in there. And so there is that, that tendency to just glop it together, but it's also all, you know, what someone is going to be doing at the same time is, is very niche. Like, and in fact is very solo, right? Like you are, you are yourself and everybody is sort of being reflect everybody that's using one of the different social media services, and most people at this point are below a certain generation, is getting their self reflected back to them and their notifications. I, I mean, that's always been my big point of what a lot of people un, sort of, un, not unwittingly, but just kind of get from them, right? Like, you know, what gets liked and what gets commented on is what shapes you. And you are, but like, it is true. I, I think there is that weird mix between there was a controllable mainstream at one point and then thus subcultures that could clearly exist outside of it. You know, like this is a clear music publishing, like this is a record label band and this is a band that doesn't have a record label. Yeah. Like this type of stuff. Like that was very easy. This is a comic book published by Marvel. This is self-published by, you know, Dave Sim or somebody, you know, like at that, that same time. So like you, you, Today, it's all it's all mashed up and mixed up and messed up. And I I think there is a lack of, you know, there's a lack of I think it's a challenge, too, because if you can't identify as part of a clear subculture, that was an important part of my upbringing. I mean, you we talked before about you being, you know, you were in a a role playing community uh, at one point, having a clearly delineated subculture, in in my case, e-wrestling. Uh, in the 90s, and then before that, Final Fantasy fan fiction writing in the mid, well, even early to mid 90s, so like 94 to 95, like without those, which I could turn on and off, I wouldn't have had a community outside of school or outside of home. Like I wouldn't have had, that was sort of my subculture for that period of time, and I wouldn't have had it otherwise. But today, I mean, I could just, I could just go to like 95. I could go to like DeviantArt and pick out 52 different things and put them on my image board there on DeviantArt. And like, you know, I'm into inflation. I'm into unzippable bodies. I'm into, I did a whole thing on men who muscle morph women and discovered that that community uh, is split between men who prefer drawings of hugely muscular women and ones who prefer photoshops of them. And then, then within that community, the ones that prefer bad photoshops. And the ones that prefer good photoshops. One guy was like, I just, I can only get off to a shop job. And I was like, what's that mean? And he was like, oh, it's got to be real bad and real obvious. That's like, so weird. Like, like the head's wrong for the size of the body. And like, you can see lines showing where it should have been. It should have been fixed and nothing's great. I was like, so, so you want bad photoshops? Oh yeah, that's all I can handle. Well, what about real muscular women? Do you like that? No, fuck no. That's gross. 
so, so I tried weird. to like narrow it. Then I was like, well, what about a cartoon, like a cartoon of a muscular woman? And he was like, no, no, I don't want that either. Like, that's stupid. So he just needed this one thing. And I think, what did he say? He's like, then I can drink a monster and roll over and go to bed. What? Drink a monster and then yes. go to bed? Yes, right. Yeah, he's he's pounding a little caffeine and sugar, or maybe he's drinking the sugar free. But I mean, he's he's pounding a little caffeine after rubbing one, whatever it was that he does to consummate himself after looking at the shop job, um, and then he's he's going to going to sleep, I guess, or gets him through the night, uh, which is sad. I mean, again, that's kind of that's kind of tragic in a way, though. He, I mean, we were just we were just emailing back and forth, so I. I don't know that he if he felt sad or happy or what his tone was about this. Uh, I mean, it might just be neutral, and this is just a way of life. But that 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 to me was was fascinating. That's when I realized this stuff was was very you know was getting out of hand fast. And I had been put onto this subject by a, a female bodybuilder who had been the subject of multiple shop jobs, uh, and she's like, you know, you need to investigate this and find out. You know, just talk to who's doing it. She's like, I think these guys are assholes. And I was like, I, I, I don't describe them as assholes in the thing. I just, I just quote them, you, you know, like they're just doing what they, they love uh, or what they they found. But yeah, this is, this is an example of a subculture. And I, I, it also got me, me thinking, Catherine, sort of on the, t- the subject of what we're talking about here, I, I began to think like, what is sex to that grouping? I, I, I didn't, have, I mean, like they kind of told me what they were doing with these illustrations, but I, I was like, what is sex in everyday life or like, what are they? Not that like, I, I don't care what they do necessarily, but I'm just curious as, as a person writing about it, like what are their, what are their goals and their, their dreams and where are they coming from? And like, where does this end up? Cause I felt there was something that I, at the core of this, that's, that's important to understanding the way we live now. And I, I couldn't figure it out. Like I didn't learn enough about their real lives and maybe there wasn't a lot to learn, but I didn't learn enough about their real lives to understand how this fit in, only that this was part of it. Or some of these people might have posted or commented or paid another artist like you can on DeviantArt to to draw the or to make these photoshops of these muscle women. Um, uh, all I could find out, some, in some cases, very all consuming. So obviously they were busy with that. But I mean, you've you've looked into the lives of the incels, I, I think, right? Or you've, you've thought about the incels, talk to the incels uh, and, you know, what, what, what exactly is, is going on? And I don't say that in a critical way or like, a, you know, I only, only in a critical sense that like I'm interested in, in, in what's going on there, but like, what are, what are the, the incels and the, and the vol cells and, and the different, the different groups uh, up to? Well, this, so this is actually so like several different groups are being brought up here. And I think like several different ways of thinking about sex. Yeah. I think there's something kind of interesting about like the group that you're describing. Cause they remind me of like an old internet group where they're, they're weird in this way that like nobody wants to commercialize that weird. That's right. That, that has not been, nobody's taken the, that's right. Really, nobody's taken the muscle morph other than me getting paid for the article. I don't think any, maybe the artists who make them like on DeviantArt for whatever they get paid. Um, nobody is really getting rich off 
muscle. Yeah, marker. and there, so there's something like kind of interesting still about that, and that you know there's probably a lot of shame wrapped up in it. Um, they really do feel like they're at the margins, whereas like there's been a lot of other otherwise like fringe sexualities, like we were discussing before, that you know are now, uh, you know, on in the pages of New York Magazine, like it's absolutely nothing. Right. right. Like, a, there's a, nothing- furry is, a furry is leading Starbucks unionization or something like that. Right. Or- yeah, like that that type. And because previously that would have been a sort of, if it's not mockable, just like odd piece of internet knowledge that this was a thing. Like you would just go, oh, well, some people, I guess, like that. But now it's it can be in the Wall Street Journal. Right. Uh, and I, so it has moved. You're right. That's a really good point about that. Yeah. So I, I, so I think there's like that to me is, you know, I think um, kink sort of like was becoming like like vanishingly rare. And like what you just described sounds like a genuine sort of example of like, you know, it doesn't, it's not too clinical. It's not too out there. They probably are a little ashamed. They, everyone in that community probably knows one another because it's so <laughs> oh, yeah, they, yeah, No, they do. They do. <laughs> they had strong feelings about different artists. Um, I mean, so then incels, right? In, incels are interesting because I, I don't think there is any one you know, single like incel group. I think there are many different kinds of incel. I think, um, I mean, the, the, the word has obviously been totally abused, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the in part and the cell part are both kind of, uh, I mean, how do we, you know what I mean? Like they're kind of right. either, either is arguable, right? Like, uh, Look, I mean, how, how in is, how involuntary is the in, you know, like how chicken and the egg stuff there in that case, I mean, I think all those for- kinds. I think for a lot of people, it is, it is involuntary. And there's, I mean, I think there's a lot for different, for different reasons. Um, sometimes it, and sometimes it is like ugliness. Like, you know, we, we really struggle to describe and to, you know, be compassionate towards men who are genuinely unattractive and not unattractive in this way. Like Paul, like Paul Dano is sort of unattractive in a way that's, you know, we can sigh up ourselves and thinking it's attractive or like Adam driver, but like truly like, you know, I, then the, in, in the incelosphere, there is this like the eternal five two Indi- balding Indian janitor, which is like the, you know, which is a Jesus. meme, which is like a guy who's sort of irredeemable. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm quoting a group. I'm not, this isn't my own uh, belief, but I do think there are people like who are irredeemable for whatever reason, maybe they, are are burn victims or something you know like there's some there's something there um that the way it manifests in their lives and the way that they you know have made peace with it or haven't made peace with it um prevents them from having sexual lives and it's just it's it's hard for us to even confront the fact that um ugliness can exist right like even now i'm giving all these disclaimers like as though there's a universe where someone who is severely disfigured is going to have an easy time um finding a sexual partner that doesn't mean that they can't right uh, you know someone whose face has you know they've been through a fire and they have some sort of facial disfigurement that person could certainly have a romantic relationship it's not going to be easy though um and our attitudes about it are constructed in such a way where like Again, like, I feel like I need to preface that. Well, it's, I mean, we all know that that person's going to struggle. Um, and I think that that in part creates, uh, creates the resentment that incels feel like not only do they struggle, but we don't give them the dignity of listening and saying like, um, one, you're not entitled for wanting human connection um, on a sexual dimension or a more general, like romantic dimension. Um, but two, like, it's not your fault that, 
it's not working out for you. Um, I think I, you know, I, I plug her podcast every chance I, I get, but uh, there's a woman named Nama Cates who um, she has a podcast called Incel and she, she writes a lot about incels. And I think she is one of the only people out there who's really like, um, who, who, who comes with equal parts, skepticism and compassion, um, and really tells the story of the many, many different, uh, subcultures within the incelosphere. That's the other part of it. I think it's similar to the online right, where it's like there's no one uniting no. leader. You know, it's not centralized. It's very, very, you know, it's very disparate and there's many different philosophies. There's not even one single you know, incel ideology. There's several and some people have no ideology, uh, which is why I'd get so angry when I'd read these like explainers that are like yeah, the incels. Right. Right. That are like, did you know, like involuntary celibate actually comes from Alana's incel hangout or whatever the, that website's called, or is this woman who had formed a, um, a, a website or a news group uh, for people who were involuntarily celibate. Um, but that's a different thing. Like if you know about what the internet was like in the nineties and what these, the, the texture of these news groups, they should, they're alike only in name, right? Like the, the sort of Bay area, uh, you know, weirdos who are, who are going on a news group about uh, feeling alone in the world where they, where it's mixed sex also are a totally different group of people that then the ones who are on a, you know, PUA hate who go on to, Correct. you know, to, to these other forums. Um, and, and even within that, like, you know, in, in writing a piece on the, the text of the Elliot Roger manifesto years and years ago, like he clearly identifies as someone that's like missed out on opportunities and whatnot, or was overpowered by other men during his, you know, karate training or whatever, or felt these feelings. But I, I mean, visually it's kind of like, like an Adam, you know, like an Adam driver, or Paul Dano sort of character. You know what I mean? Like you look at it and you go like, well, that you know this identification is potentially you're like placing him into that camp again you have so many camps right like you have potentially incels who might be perfectly attractive or or you know mid i guess that's a term people use now for middling attractive people or whatever um but like you have people who could fit on these categories who are thrown into the incel category with people who are like 411 and have you know may, you know thalidomide related uh de- disfiguration or something like that and it isn't all one thing, right? You know, sometimes it might be like incel might only be in, in the mind in some cases, right? Like, like I, I, I mean, I, I, re- I remember being uh, an incel in my, my early teen years until I had sex. Right. Like I thought right. of myself and then I, then I initially had sex and I ceased to be an incel. I, I mean, I think like, I think the media narrative likes to pick on the sort of like Elliot Roger types where yes, that is, that is absolutely right. Yeah. Where they are there, they either have some sort of, you know, personality disorder or, you know, there are incels who are just misogynists. Um, you know, I, I knew it. <laughs> and I, I don't think, I don't even think that's the majority of them. I think it's a very small group that, you know, they're, but they're so, there's something so interesting about them and like clickbaity. I mean, like I knew, I knew a guy who was not a true cell, right? Like he, he had sex. Um, he did fine on dating apps, which I think is a, a huge red flag, but he was, he was like, you said like mid, like he was, a, he wasn't super short. Um, but he was kind of shorter, like maybe like five, nine or something. He, you know, he was a minority. Um, but he had like a fine job. He was like, 
good looking enough. He he had girlfriends, he had a sex life, but he saw himself as a low value man. So identified as an incel. And but it was really just a way to to organize his self-hatred and really misogyny. I mean, this guy hates women. He would identify as a woman hater. Um, I don't think it's fair for that guy to be the poster child of incels, right? Because I've known other incels where it's like, you know, it's like I was saying, like it's someone who um, they, you know, they're 45 years old and they, 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 they have some sort of disfigurement and they're nice, you know, they're a nice guy. Uh, But it's just, it's, that's just, they live in a small town and there's just the cards are stacked against them. And and what are you going to do? And they, they commune with other men and uh, they, they find some like a shred of solace in the friendships with other men. And like, I don't want to vilify that. Like if I've been in, I've been in similar situations. Um, I'm not going to pretend like my life experience is anywhere close to that, but I've, I've felt, um, I've, I've felt like disenfranchised in certain ways and the friendships of other women, who've had those same experiences have been immensely helpful. Um, and it's, I mean, it's nightmarish to think that that like, again, like shred of connection would be labeled as terrorism. I wonder, and I, I mean, it, it is, it is really interesting. Like we, we can't, we can't apply litmus tests or like, you know, test somebody's DNA or something like that to clear, you know, to clarify any of these questions of identity. I mean, it'd be in some ways it'd be easier if we could, right. You, you know, because everybody nowadays, uh, especially if you work in the media world, you know, will know someone right. Who identifies as queer is in a perfectly heterosexual marriage and always has been, you know, but just as of like five years ago, began to identify this way. And sort of in the case of like the, the, the true self thing you bring up, like, you're like, well, this isn't like, uh, this identity doesn't match my study of this, this individual, this doesn't fit or, you know, well, this person, you know, I, I, I live down the hall from him and he's consistently having sex. So, but he identifies as an incel and is like the king of the incels, but seems to never be celibate except the times when he's not having sex. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so you, but we, with, with, you know, with this, with going back to what we said at the beginning in terms of like identity acceptance, you do, you, there is this pressure to take people at face value on all of these claims. And I, I do wonder too, like within the incel community, I wonder if there is, there must be an, an appeal, even if it's, you know, beneath the surface to becoming part of an identity category where people are sort of required to say, well, oh, you are this, you know, right. you are this and you are valid like to shift identities within within the incel category, you know, like like perhaps the trans movement might hold appeal for you subconsciously in that way, where you're like, I can become a higher status this rather than a lower status that if I make this particular uh, move, even without thinking about that, right? Like because we often don't think nobody like thinks and like very few people think in that sort of strategic way. I mean, the ones who do, you've got to watch them, but like uh, other other than that, like, like like these shifts do occur. So I wonder. I, I mean, I wonder, surely, surely for the incels, that sort of thing must be happening, like occasionally, every so often. I don't think so. Some. I mean, I think, I think, I th- like, but the guy I was mentioning, I think that they, I, well, I, do, so I do think he hated, he hated women. I think, I think he would use that, that phrase to describe his own feelings and beliefs himself. I'm not trying to, you know, accuse some, someone of something heinous. Um, but I also think that in his mind, the relationships he was able to form were worthless because he saw himself as low value. I mean, and there you get the sort of alpha fucks, beta bucks. He, but I mean, he was dating 
like, you know, fine, not, not, you know, like fine, like dime piece one, but like, you know, not, he wasn't scraping at the bottom of the barrel is what I'm trying to say, you know, taking any shred of attention he could get. He was getting average looking women and they liked him. And, but it was just in his own sort of worldview that they were, they were always waiting for the next best thing. Um, so I think for him, it wasn't necessarily a way to, to, to fit into something or to find a connection or to find status. Um, I think it was, uh, he felt that he was sort of de facto in that group. Um, are there men who enter the incel communities or like, you know, different incel forums who do, who, you know, do want to be king of the incels and seek status? I'm sure there are. Otherwise we wouldn't have the word true cell, right? Like there has to be some people who are sort of manipulating it in this sort of feminine way. Um, it is crazy though. Like, like we need to have a true cell thing, like, you know, joining it, to, joining it, gaining status in it to such an extent that people are, well, that's obviously not an incel anymore. He's, He's, you know, they or he or, or, or she is 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 having sex. Yeah, we got him dead to rights here. I mean, they should probably. They, actually, I mean, there are there are words for men who feel like they're sort of like these filler men, or they're being cheated on, or something. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's also, yeah, that's there's a- all sorts of dimensions to it. Um, which is why I think it's you know like like I said it's really hard to talk about the community as a monolith because it's yeah. it's many different it's many different things and. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many different aspects to it. Um, and if people listening, like are curious about learning all the different subcultures that make up the the broader ecosystem, um, look up Nama Kates It's N A A M A Kates, like K A T E S. Um, her, her work's really good. I mean, there's nobody else out there who's really like going through these communities with like a, a fine tooth comb and, and treating them with like so much dignity and, and respect that you, you really do learn and you don't feel like there's any kind of political gotchas with her work. Yeah. We'll put a, we'll put that uh, in the programming notes for people who are listening to this so that they can, they can see and then go check that out. That, that, that is a, a really interesting point. And like, you know, sort of, sort of jumping from, from incels here. Uh, what, what is going on? Uh, and what do we? What do we like? Well, you, we can't see. This is the, this is the point. Like we, going back to our conversation about the mainstream earlier, we can't. It's it's the newspaper headline or the Vox explainer tendency to say what are kids doing about sex now? Because the real answer is a million different things and a million different answers and incredibly, you know, for any single thing, there's a bunch of. It, it, it's all very complicated. Like you know, like. You, you can't just say like the incel revolution, you know, and then post a picture of the one guy. Uh, and that's, but that's an explainer, you know, everything is smushed when it, when it comes out that way, everything is sort of condensed when it comes out that way. So anyone in a community will say when they hear someone talking about a community, will say, well, that's not us. That's not right. That's not accurate. You know, that's because it's not going to be, you know, having, having written these things and trying to be as charitable as I could to different groups that I covered, even if I was internal to them, I could never render all of the things. So someone was like, oh, did you know this famous Anon bodybuilder from like 1999 or 2006? No, didn't didn't know him. You know, well, how could you tell the story of this without that? I don't, just did. Told a story of it. Didn't tell these. I mean, it says the in the, uh, you know, the definite article is in the uh, the headline, but that's just because you got to, you can't say uh up there. 
You know, like the readers aren't going to read a history. They're going to read if they read anything. Nobody reads anything. But like if they read anything, they're going to read the history. So it, it is it is a, a challenge. But I, I mean, in terms of in terms of attitudes toward actual sex, like sex and intimacy, I, I mean, from, you know, different different communities that you've surveyed or, or people that you've talked to. What, what is the what is the trend uh, in that respect? I mean, I, I've been married for the last 12 years. So, well, last 10 years, but, you know, in a relationship for the last 12. So I've just totally lost touch with like all of that stuff. Like, I mean, I know it's happening out there, but I'm not, you know, I'm not all that aware of what it is. And, and to the extent that I understand it at all, I am falling back on whatever the defaults were in 2007, 8 and 9, you know, which are very different than they are in 2022 i mean dating is swipe apping in in many cases now that seems to depress a lot of people apparently there's a major uh you know a huge chunk of men are are cut out of the swipe apps in terms of performance yeah a third a third of men oh it's just crazy it's like that's a lot you know (laughs) um it's unswipeable yeah. So like I, it's something like a, th- a full third of men on these apps um, get no dates. They get no matches um, probably for all sorts of reasons. Right. Like, you know, there's again, there's people who are like in genuinely unfortunate situations, but also like, you know, people don't want to be too serious and they're too ironic. And then like, if you're, you know, like the, if you post the wrong selfie, then you look like you're going to murder someone, you know, it's just like, there's all sorts of things that go into it. Um but yeah, I mean, I think, I think generally the, if there's, if there's a single vibe, it's that people feel disposable. Um, mm-hmm. And I eat in throughout, like even, you know, you have like sort of the, the, the sex positive coastal, uh, you know, mm-hmm. PMCs, they obviously feel disposable. Cause if you look at what they're writing, what they're posting on social media, it's all these jokes about like the bad sex they're having, um, you know, and it comes from men and women um, and also across sexualities, uh, you know, gay men, lesbians, uh, straight women, straight men, um, everyone sort of feels discarded and just the texture of how that's expressed changes depending on your class. Um, I do think that there's more, um, I don't know. There's more of a longing for stability and for something more romantic. Um, I think that's definitely something I've noticed. Um, and even, even among these sort of like coastal people and I, you know, I've heard it said on Twitter and I'm definitely in a filter bubble, but um, you know, it's like, Oh, these women are just turning 30 or, you know, 35 even, of course they're changing their tune, but I'm also seeing this stuff from like 22 year olds, right? Like 22 year olds who like five minutes ago, we're all about all the sex they need to have and, you know, whatever, right. And living their best lives. And suddenly it's like, I've seen what I need to see. I kind of just want to get married. Yeah. I mean, a cohort is aging. A cohort of communicators is, is aging. Several cohorts are aging simultaneously. Several of them are aging through the same processes. I mean, I, I, I find it fascinating. I think that you really hit on something. I mean, just thinking back to my, my teen years and adolescence, like the idea that the, like investing the sex act itself with such expectation, uh, is, is inevitably going to the act itself ends in the disappointment, uh, that follows the moment of orgasm. Like there is always a come down from the moment of whatever, which is then if, like just a human feeling like there's always going to be like in the, the, the rational mind comes back into 
focus again. And you're thinking, oh, you know, this is what am I doing here? This isn't my life. This isn't. But like that's I, I always thought that was just something you had to harness as you age. Like you just realize that's just, you know, this is just, you know, this is just some kind of animal drive that I have. This is, you know, a person that, that can excite that drive, uh, you know, to a certain extent. And then I, I do it. And then I have many other things I have to do. And there's many other things in life that have to be organized and coordinated and managed. And there's so many things that go into to you know, building, you know, building towards retirement or building towards being a parent. And, but, but to have to, to keep missing on all of that. And like, I, I mean, I, I had many misses and many types of relationships prior to getting married and to keep whiffing on those, to beating out over a longer stretch. Like if I'd done another decade of that, right. Like I would have been depressed at least in a small way, because if you keep with, you know, if you keep the feeling of disposability, will hit you, you know, whether you're the most desirable or the least desirable, you know, if like no one ever picks you, then you're going to be sad. Right. Uh, And I feel like, I I feel like people also are having a lot of sex just to fill time or for like the experience, like, oh, that would be a weird story or just like, oh, there's nothing better to do. Um, And not out of, not even like out of like shared lust or something, right? Like not even like a bad decision in that sense, right? It was too quick, but passion overcame us. Those are rough. Those are not the great, like that's, that's going to be a bad feeling after the fact you might not even be fully into either male, man or woman or whatever. Like you might not be fully into, if you're not fully into the thing on either side, it's going to feel, you're going to want to, I mean, you'll, you'll think it's the worst thing ever. Like you'll remember it. It's just like, uh, oh, it's kind of gross. Yeah, you know, she was gross. I she think, was gross. We're all gross. It's gross. I, I so I I got married very very young, uh, and then I I got divorced, and then I dated for the first time um, in like my mid and late twenties, and I didn't date that many people. I'm not. I wasn't one of those people who went on like a thousand first dates or whatever. I think like I went on. Um, I went out on dates, not necessarily a relationship um, with like five different people over the course of a year. And then the, the, the fifth person is, is the person I'm, I'm with. And I, but I remember thinking on like the fourth person, I'm like, this is too, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how much of this I can handle. And that, I, that I feel like was like a very tame is like very spaced out. And it, like, I can't imagine people who are like, you know, 70 dates deep, um, in, in, a, in a single year. And- I, I know one such guy. I Years and years ago on OkCupid, I wrote all of these templates for him to reach out to people online so he could fill in. You know, it, it was built. It was basically Mad Libs that he could just send out. Yeah, I wrote his profile. It's nothing like him. Um, you know, we picked photos that look nothing like him. And they look less and less like him as he gains more and more weight. Uh, over time. So he's got these same jokes. He still uses the same service and he still fires these off. So at one point, this dude was shotgunning first dates where he would have somebody scheduled 90 minutes after the first date at the same restaurant near his house. So he'd be in Glenwood South and Raleigh rapping. I mean, he's a very unique character beyond that. I've discussed him on here. Listeners might know of him uh, from other things, but he would be, he would be, you know, finishing this one date, hopefully trying to get it done in 45 minutes and then have the next person walking in or sometimes even passing the person that was there on the other date. So he would just be dating. And when he would say, Oliver, you know, I've been dating. What, what he meant was that he was first dating. He was constantly first dating. And 
I guess it helped him pass the time. Um, he rarely got to second dating or any other dating, but I, I began to finally experience sort of what he must, must be dealing with or someone in like a less extreme circumstance. This guy's unusual, but I mean, you experienced it after five. I recently changed jobs. So I interviewed like 30 or 40 different places over a three month span and, you know, sometimes two and three interviews and you, you say the same shit. Over yeah, and over it's again. exhausting to get to know people. I mean, it's just like that's that's work by itself. It's it, and I think like each each time, like each special moment becomes like cheapened. Yeah, the, and like how you know, like how many special like I I feel like I, I, I'm going to maybe sound like prudish right now, but I feel like if you're getting to the point where like the person you end up with, you there's no firsts you could share with them, then that's a that's a problem. Like not, and not necessarily like lose your virginity to that. Obviously like that's, that's, you know, we, we don't live in those times anymore, but like, I don't know, like first, like even like innocent mundane things, like first, like walk in the park or like first time you went to like Disney world with a a, a partner or so, something like that. Like y- you find that like those types of experiences like run out really quick. If you're cycling through too many people, yeah, I mean, if you, you, you I mean, to an extent, like it can, it becomes like doing sales, like doing, you can memorize lines or you can memorize even like whole bits of conversation that you can insert into everything and have those same moments and beats with everybody else that you have, just as you would in like doing your job, right? Or like talking to people all day. And it becomes, to, it, to you, knowing that you're doing this, the damage isn't even being done necessarily to the person hearing it. They might be hearing it for the first time. It's to you having to foster false intimacy or feeling yeah. that you need to, to validate yourself through the performance of a date that gets to another date that, you know, whatever your end goal is, whether it's intimacy or whether it's, you know, you know, a longer relationship or whatever, like you, to do that. Right. And I think a lot of people, even if they don't realize it yet, have probably hit a point in that if you've done 50 dates, if you've done 500 dates, you have reached a point of talking about yourself or doing the basic stuff enough that it's going to it's going to, it's going to be kind of empty. Like I'm not, it's not a, I mean, you have to do what you have to do and you're going to have to keep dating. I mean, if you want, that's your, that's I mean, your I have questions for those people though. Like, I mean, I could sympathize with going through like 40 job interviews because yes. the, you know, there's a payoff. One, right. Like one pays 55 K one yes. pays like one sixty. you yes. know, it's like there's, there's a reason there, but um, you know, there's at, like at some point, like what are you looking for if you need to be going on that many dates? Like you don't know what you're, you either don't know what you're looking for or your standards need to be readjusted. Um, like when I, so I have an advice column and like one of the pieces of advice that I give again and again and again is like, give people time to breathe because you don't really know shit after a first date. Like I went on a first, this was someone who I ended up dating for a long time. Like our first date, he like shows up, he like doesn't have his wallet. He seems like just like a crazy person. He asks me if I've ever been to jail. I mean, it was just like, like nightmarish. And then he tells me he's going to walk back to Berkeley. We were in San Jose. And in my head, like that, that was an extreme situation. But like, I had sort of decided I'm never going to see this person again. That was just insane and weird and bad. And then something like stirred in me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy 
another chance. And then second date was still kind of weird. But by the third date, I realized like, this is just a nervous, eccentric guy. And it, it worked out and it didn't work out forever. But it like, it worked out for long enough for like, giving him a chance to like, get his shit together a little bit. And again, like, I don't know if I would, re- if someone told me that same story, I don't know if I'd recommend a second date in that specific situation. Yeah. But, um, you know, with, but with, there's other things that I feel like people are too quick to dismiss people on. Like you're nervous date one, you're nervous date two by date three, you're really starting to, the mask is starting to fall, whether you know it or not. And by date three, you have a better idea of like, whether or not um, you're compatible with this person. Like you need to give people a chance to, to, to chill on the performance of, that comes with just social anxiety, um, which is why also like, um, you know, I don't think people should be having sex on the first date not really the second date or the third date because you again like need a ch- need a chance to like see through the lust or even the boredom of like eh, I might as well get this done with and never talk to this person again. Um, and it you know if you give people more time to show you who they are, I think uh, it's it's easier to to like them. Even I mean it just I think it just it makes for more successful dating. Yeah, I I think. I mean, I think too, from the perspective of like being a person going on, on dates, you should definitely have, I, I know the old thing was like, you should have your shit together. I, I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean you should have a career or, or whatever, but I, I think you should have a clear sense of who you are as a person yeah. rather than like, this is going to be a performance intended to get me something like the, the beauty of the last set of job interviews that I did was I had a very clear set of what I wanted in terms of a boss compensation role, because I was doing a version of this already. And I was like, finally, you know, I can, I can hold, I can, I can end these conversations. I can say, this isn't for me. I can say, uh, you know, five minutes in, I, I mean, this isn't the money that I, I want, or this isn't, or, you know, this isn't going to work. You can do that. And I mean, with, in some cases, you might want to hear people out or whatever, but you have the ability to, to just say, I have a clear enough understanding of what I'm looking for here. Now, within like within still realistic, like at this age, at this stage, at this level of seniority, I can expect this. And I, I think at least going into dating, not like you're trying to like hit a home run, but that requires that you hold together this like web of lies or this web of constructed self only for this thing. Uh, but I mean, if you are like, I got to have a date to have a date to be dating while I'm out, uh, if that's still something people are are concerned about, eventually you're going to, uh, you're going to make excuses for why you're doing this, but the excuses are going to run out for people who keep making them. Like, you're going to, you're going to be like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, this is not my life. I'm just, you you know. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, another thing that happens to this, and this, maybe this is a little bit tangential. Is and men and again, men and women both do this. They know what they want, but they'll give other people a chance, sort of to like make themselves seem less shallow or less picky or yes. something. And that also, I think, is a mistake. Like, you know, it it might be the case that your standards are out of control, but don't like don't lead people on because you feel some kind of shame that you that you know you want the 10, but like you, you'll, you'll waste the, the five's time, you know, it's like, don't, don't do that. Just go on the dates with the women you want or the men that you want and, you know, leave the people you think are 
below average alone, right? Because they'll they'll find someone who who appreciates them for who they are, hopefully, and you know, best case scenario. And I think that, and I think that's a lot of people who are going on these hundred first dates. Like, I knew a guy who I think he like went on like it was literally a hundred first dates in a year, no second dates. I mean, here's the thing: the 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 quiet part was like he was looking for a very specific type of woman who he could have easily, you know got right but he was giving chances to women who he thought were not girlfriend material because i think he thought his real preference was too shallow and it was like this is just this is dumb as shit just yeah that's that's real (laughs) there there was a period there there have been a few relationships in my very early 20s that i i had for that reason where i was like well I'll compromise you know this just seems like the right thing to do Uh, that's the sister of a friend that's not the good decision, by the that's way. That's terrible. Like, yeah. like, like, you know, that's his little sister. Like, I think that's the right thing to do. What the fuck, right? Like, that's a really dumb, dumb thing. But there, there were a couple where, where that was going on or where I was just passing time or maybe they were passing time. I, I, I went out on one date in 2003 in, in Montana with uh, a woman that worked for the newspaper there. We, we knew each other from the gym. And like midway through the date, uh, it became clear that that she had asked me out because she thought I wanted to ask her out. And that's what she said. It's like, so what are we what are we doing here? And she was like, oh, you know, I like you're. It, it, it became clear. like she asked me. I was sitting there, and she's like, well, you know, I only ask you because I thought you wanted to ask me. And I was like, well, I came because you asked me. So aren't you interested? Um, and it just, it was just so beyond confusing that like we just went our separate ways, still saw each other in, in the gym afterwards. But one of the strangest things, and, and she also was one of the people that frequently like got my first name wrong. Um, you know, hence like I joke in various things that I write that like, or begin every show here by by saying my name and then the word again, or I joke that people call me Oscar. It's because this was one of the people who would slip and, and call me Oscar or something else. And I, like, you know, like I, I guess if uh, that could have, that could have set me where other things in place, I guess that could have sent me into the world of inceldom or PUA hate or something like that. Uh, but instead I've just always been puzzled by it. But it also just became clear to me that like if the interest level on both sides is that low, that we're just passing time that way, a lot of people are doing that. That's what a lot of life is. So I was like, this is an interesting interaction for that reason. You know, like you just end up going out on the date because the person thought you wanted to date them. And so they ask you out because and you there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it, you, you know, but that was something that can happen very early in, in your, your dating or, or intimate life. Um, now, I, again, I, I think that we're, we're leaving out experiences of people who just like to, for example, use the hookup apps. You know, there are different sexual communities and identities that, you know, like they just might like have, they might like have like shotgun sex nonstop, you know, and that could be a thing as well. But uh, I've never had those. Uh, I, I've never experienced that. Like even in, you know, even in my teens, you know, 
there was a limit to it, but there are certain, you know, groups or people who like to just shotgun that stuff or have a line or, you know, like that, that, that's sort of independent of all this. I, I think that probably has its pluses and minuses, but I can't speak to it. You know, I've spoken yeah. to some of those people for pieces, but I can't really get down to like the level of, I, I mean, I just, I, I, again, like, there's always been, at least for me, that moment after the exhaustion of a desire where reason takes back over and you're like, well, you know, I, I did this, this. You know what I mean? Like where it's not like it's not like the movie ends. You right. Know? It's, not, it's just not worth it. It doesn't right? fall. You, you, you know, I mean, I think like there is probably a sense of power. And I mean, I think for men, it's probably different. There's probably there's certainly like men who just have high sex drives. Right. Yeah. Um, I think of my 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 co-columnist for my advice column, Delicious Tacos, who I don't know if you know his writing, uh, but he's a, you know, he... I know he, that's he, a person on Twitter. That's he's, right. you know, he's he was at some point in like sex addict territory. And for oh. him, you know, the male desire knows no bounds. And I know that's a, a real thing and it's not necessarily uncommon. And I think for women... Um, they, it feels good to be wanted and it, it, it's, you know, supporting infrastructure for your self-esteem. So why wouldn't you, you know, especially, you know, I know a lot of young women, especially in um, the Bay Area, where it's like these guys who they're sort of uh, hooking up with one after another aren't just some guy, right? They may not necessarily be attracted to them, but it feels good to have 10 different DECA millionaires lined up who, even if they don't want to date you seriously, they're going to take you in their helicopter or their, their mansion or whatever thing. And like, you know, there's definitely like more tame versions of that. There's a lot of women, I think, who are doing it for the experience and the story and also like, oh, it just feels good that someone wants me that badly. I think that there, I mean, one of the, I, I, I've thought about this a lot, like one of the ways that, I mean, you just, sometimes you just luck out by like a, a natural tendency toward this or that, but like one of the, one of the things that, and I, I now attribute it probably to like multiple, multiple years of, of fairly isolated upbringing, homeschooling, whatever. One of the things that I, I feel I lucked out the most on was hitting a point probably right in my teens where it became clear to me that I, I just, I, I only had like the only kind of fulfillment I could really get was internal. Like I did it. I did this. I did this like no, like landing some type of person, but I can understand this drive. I can understand this sort of thing, like landing this type of person or going to that type of party. None of that stuff held any appeal for me the way eating a large steak did or lifting a big weight or something like those were just things I could, I could control completely. But like the idea, and I would remember even at the time there would be, you know, there would be these, and I just felt bad. Like I, I had friends that would like obsess over their height being like five, seven or five, six or five, two or whatever, and where that places them here or there. And it just always seemed to me like, you know, these, these people had different skills and abilities. And I was like, well, you know, have you have this interesting skill? Why do you care about this particular thing? You know, or you you know you have a you have a, a real proficiency in this respect. Uh, why do you care about being able to go for two hours straight or something like that? You know, like what what difference does it make? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that that's again. You can only control so much of that, but it always puzzled me. Like I, I felt I, I didn't feel pity or anything. I just felt like it's a tough. You got a tough road to hoe. If that's what, if that's what you're, you're going to need. 
like the sooner that you can get more internal senses of validation and senses of completion, um, the better off you probably are, maybe not over like, like, but, but in terms of being able to control your own space and environment, I mean, that was, that was critical, critical to me. Like there's no person I've ever dated who made me feel good or bad about myself. Like, Oh, this is the date that I have because it was all stuff I was doing. Like the only thing I should ever care about was what I'm doing. I don't, you know, this other stuff is just other stuff, but like, there's no sense of like, there was no extension of, of self. And even, even with like having a kid, I, I notice other parents will talk about like what their kids are doing or what percentile they're in or this or that. Who gives a fuck? It's a kid, you know, like they're going to do what they're going to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. But I, I've always like, I mean, that was always, that was always my advice to people in that, in that circumstance, but it can't, it doesn't, it can't, it won't be relatable to all people at all times. And indeed I, I live a very, like very modest life as a result or bland life as a result of that. But I mean, it, it seemed to me and probably from watching my parents' multiple relationship dissolutions Right. Like my parents were like partial nudists. My parents were like free sex types. My parents were like, you know, all those things. And they were really into each other, too, which was at least, you know, something that some people's parents can't say. Um, but to me, that that made me think that, you, you know, you're never going to find. And my dad would even say that in later years. You're never going to find your validation chase and that sort of shit. Yeah, You know, like you, you might find it writing something, but you'll never find it from having readers. Right. So like my, that's always been my approach to writing too, which is, you know, you, I'm glad I wrote it, but I don't particularly care if anyone ever read it. Although it's important to my livelihood that I get paid for it in some form so I could eat, you, you know, but like you have to, you, that's, that's, that's like a form of, there's like a form of discipline on my part because otherwise that way madness lies, you know, to, to get into those other parts. Madness is, is there that, that male desire is, is un, tameable in a lot of senses, unless you begin, whether it's through religion or whether it's through, you know, discipline or whether it's the silly self-help that they sell, um, you have to do something to tame that shit, or you're going to have a lonely road, regardless of what you're into and who you're into. Like most, most definitely like it, 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 it can get off the chain for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people don't have a lot going on either that's, you know i mean the the other sort of like corollary to this is like a lot of people's only friends are people that they went on failed dates with jesus i hope that's not the case it's i mean it's true at least in cities right like i, I mean i don't know wow. if it's true in a general sense it's true of a certain type of person who lives in a certain type of city right um but it's like not it's something i've heard more than like more than five times even wow yeah, I mean that's a that's a depressing thought. That I, I guess if you move to a new city, and if I think to some friends who have moved to new cities without like a relationship intact or something, and I think how they meet people or meet up. I mean, I recently introduced one friend from grad school with me to a friend who was an editor of some magazine I wrote for at one point. And it was as if neither of them had interacted with anyone in the past two and a half years. And it wasn't a date. They just got together in D.C. And that's weird to me. I, I think partly I live in my hometown. So like the same people are here, you know, like the same people are here 
who've always been here. And then like in other areas are like people that, that have lived with me for long stretches or knew me. So I'd go see them, but that, that phenomenon would be a challenge. Like if you just moved to DC for a job, you're either going to know your coworkers and you might not even know them if there's a pandemic, okay. you know, you'll have the, they'll have the screens. Uh, and then you'll have, uh, the hinge app people or the, uh, the bumble app or burble app or whatever, whatever they, they are all of the ones, you know, the, the tender, the grinder, all the ones that you're working to get your, to get your game on. Like that's all you'll have. And, uh, wow, that's really a depressing thought. Like if you, right, like you turn the lights out at night and your social interactions for the past three weeks have been some dates. Yeah. Oh my. It's, I think that's a lot of people and oh maybe my. the people I work with, you know, Oh dear. I mean, and that's why like, you know, I've like had this situation like several times where I'll like make a new female friend and all their friends are men. And it's just sort of like, you don't ask about it, but then you kind of come to find out those are just all X, you know, two week long relationships, relationships and scare quotes. Do you know a few women in that situation? I I mean, I did one time dated a girl who might, sort of keep in contact with now but have i have accumulated several male acquaintances who also happened to date her at one point we know each other independently of our couple of interactions with this woman who has still who's still dating at this stage at 38 or 39 like so there's like there, there this is this is a real thing like surrounded by uh, all of these these men in in some form or fashion, and, and some of them have become friends with each other apparently, and uh, that's that's unusual when you think about it, you know. And they're all sort of single still, and and also in the D.C. area, and very, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it, it's 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 unusual, and I I mean, it's not to say that people weren't isolated in the 1920s or something. I mean, if you just were a, a lonely immigrant. Uh, who who did who had lost your family or didn't have a family and you're living in a flop house in New York or something like that uh, or on Skid Row or something like that then you were you were in a bad way you were isolated um, but this different kind of very different kind of isolation like I don't like to just go to bed every night knowing that you you had uh, you know the last I had ten social interactions recently and they were all failed dates and one job interview you know what the heck oh my yeah it's depressing. Oh my. Yeah. yeah I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't contemplated that, that like being a thing. Right? right. And then think of the incel who says, I don't even get that, you know? And then they log, and then they log online and they, they have their forums or whatever. And maybe they, maybe they say misogynistic stuff to gatekeep people yeah, out. Yeah. So it stays pure. And then they're on a list, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, actually I mean, like really unjust when you think about it that way. I guess if you, I guess if you can have that that community or that that part of of wherever you are on social media or elsewhere, wherever you're living, you know, virtually, um, I, I guess th- at that point, like that is that is an element that was often left out of, like uh, you know, meet the racist alt right trolls of this or that. When right. I, I mean, in, in terms of interacting, I, I actually met some of these like teens uh, in, in real life in a piece I wrote in 2016. I, I, I met these teens and uh, they were pathetic. It was pathetic kids uh, who had been engaged in some forum rating or something and uh, having a fake gay relationship with a moderator to get access to some Facebook forum when they were sending this moderator real nudes, you know, shared 
nudes between the two of them. Uh, I guess he was sending him his back and forth and uh, very odd. That seems to me odd already, but I, I think I realized then that like for them, the racism or whatever, the anti-Semitism is, is odious as a concept, but seemed to be merely a, probably was just a lingua franca for the, the, the sort of this common language for this world that they found themselves in. And they could gatekeep by saying, you know, like the K word or this word or that word, they could gatekeep by saying it, but no media story that writes about them is going to give them the time. No serious, like big time media story about them is going to give them the time of day in terms of acknowledging that, you know, like it's just a, you know, they're all in this room just saying the N word constantly. Well, I mean, it's bad, but there might be more to the story than that. You, you yeah. know, like that might just be the way that they, they have nowhere else to go. They're in here. Um, they, they might be different than someone that's, I, again, it's, it's hard that you can only go so far in terms of trying to figure out the psychological motivations there, but it's definitely interesting to, to think that those communities will be brought together over that simply because it's a way of keeping, uh, you know, keeping the standards in place for access to this limited, limited community, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it makes you think, in yeah. other words. No, yeah, I, just, I, I suspect a lot of online racists aren't really racist, you know, which is like a controversial thing to say. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think... I've always, I mean, a lot of online people aren't anything they say they are. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I've met people, and I've met people in Chicago who are in all sorts of, you know, unusual subcultures, um, not necessarily race, well, definitely not racist ones, but, uh, I'm like, I don't even think you're this thing. I think you just don't have any friends and like these people like you and why not? If it means that you have to wear this like dorky outfit or say kind of off the wall things or do a weird sex thing. Sure. You know, <laughs> it's I mean, better who than are we to judge, who are we to like interrogate and say whether that is or not, but you certainly have that suspicion. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done it myself. I've been in religious groups that I don't, where I don't believe, like, I like the community. Like, I'm here, I used to live in the Austin area and I was a Wiccan for years. And oh, it wow. was, yeah, wow. I, I was a priestess. And so I didn't, I never believed it, but like, there was something so nice about the specific people that I knew. And I was very, very lonely. And it was like, I had like my Wiccans. I had like, like this weird, you know, weirdos online who, and that was sort of the community that I built for myself. Um, you know, you find what you find. <laughs> How are the Wiccans doing these days? Are they growing in membership or are they, uh, are they declining? I haven't heard much about them. Of <laughs> it's late. been like very gentrified. Right. Oh, wow. So you have to like seek out, you, you seek out these people who were sort of around for like the seventies revival. And of course they have, you know, it's all built on like these, all you know, alternative histories and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird community. It's, it's super weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, just uh, all that stuff is, is fascinating. Uh, you know, everybody's got to find uh, a place, but yeah, that, yeah, those and like there were hobbies and interests that I, I mean, like at a more like simple level, like there were hobbies and interests that I have and still write about that I only had so I had a way of talking to my father. Yeah, you know, like or, or to like other other guys like him who happened to like inhabit our our social sphere. Like, like I mean, I don't, I never really like liked pro wrestling in and of itself, uh, but it was a way to talk 
to sit on Saturday mornings or Saturday evenings and watch something with my father and like have a conversation about something. And then I, you know, the more I dug back into the history of it as, as a little kid, I could then talk to him about those things. And at a certain point, I, I guess I, I enjoyed it enough to keep, uh, to keep writing about it. But that is, that is one of those things. I think we probably have more of those things uh, than we would, we would think in our, in our lives. But like, that was, that was certainly something that began not as like, uh, Oh, I love this. You know, I mean, from a kid, like I, I knew it was dumb as hell, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, it's something we can watch and study and discuss. And, you, you know, like I could, I could, he'd listen to me, you yeah. know, in terms of us, us talking back and forth. So they, I think we, we have those, we have those things. I, I think we, we put them aside too lightly or we cast them aside too lightly. Like, you know, the, whatever religion you were raised in, maybe that's a way to interact with your family. Who knows? Uh, I mean, like that, that's, that's how I justified my whole up, upbringing. I mean, because my mother is Catholic, it was important to me to go through that whole rigmarole, um, you know, so that when my aunt dies here in the next week or something like that, uh, I can, you know, go to the funeral mass and we can we can do that thing. And but you know what I mean? Like, it's just it doesn't connect me to I mean, it's something certainly something that you experience from birth, but it doesn't connect me to anything beyond. And I, you know, I even I even sought to take that religious education beyond at the beginning of grad school to have more things to talk to people like my mom about now, nowadays I use it to sell cultural takes. Right. <laughs> so like it still has a purpose and I always repurpose this stuff, but you are doing it um, to, you, you are doing it sometimes for reasons that, that you don't, you don't think. I, I, I think that's, that, that's a, that's a really good, I, from what I understand, like women often feel like, you know, women as such, like feel acculturated to do this and like, you know, have this hobby to get so-and-so to get this partner, you know, or, or to be into this, yeah. to get this guy or girl or whatever it is you're after. I mean, I think that's true. Um, and I think there's definitely, I think, you know, angry young men online are probably right that there's also women who enter subcultures that are male dominated because they don't feel good about themselves and they want, they want. There's always the e-wrestling take, right? Like the first girl is the most attractive girl. Um, Um, The first verifiable girl is the most attractive girl. Cause in the nineties, it was just believed that everyone was male on the internet. Everyone else was lying. When we found the one, uh, if people listened to the prior interview, uh, began grooming uh, the men of the room. Uh, slowly but surely but like yeah that's that, that's definitely that was definitely the suspicion like uh you know she's gonna she's gonna take over as the hot the hot woman as the only woman yeah i mean i think a lot of i think a lot of people are aware of that and they because it's it's another way of sort of expressing this feeling that you don't have value i mean as we were talking i was thinking like um you know, I think there's a lot of joking around and criticism of people who are effectively gender conforming heterosexuals who say they're queer. And that's obviously that, you know, it's a status thing, but I think it's, it's probably uh, more significantly a community thing or like a lack of identity thing. I think we actually started seeing the normie seeds of this be sown when, when we had, remember like, it must have been the early 2000s when we had this like spate of like fake geeks. And it was sort of like, why would you affect being interested in yes. Star Trek? Yeah, that yeah. The, is the, the, same the thing. expansion and the widening of the expansion of it wasn't an expansion of true nerddom either. It wasn't an expansion of true fandom, you know, and the resulting 
you know, tentpole franchises tied to these fandoms that used to just be behind the conventions and old movies, not really an expansion of the true fandom in that sense, but they did, there was that, like, there were all these mainstream articles too, like the rise of the nerd, you know, it'd be some normie in glasses. Yeah. You know? I read an interesting paper that actually like postulates that the reason that that happened um, is, you know, all the things we're talking about, but also because um, social media changed the way people perceive themselves. And um, just like, if you just put your basic facts, like most people don't have a special interest or a fandom or something, right? That's like, interesting. That, yeah. right, that used to be the case, but you, you don't, but if you're forced to look at your own banality, like that's kind of disturbing. So you start affecting something or adding on labels to make yourself more interesting or like more unique. Because if you're John Smith, and then you're in a sea of other John Smiths and your profile is very generic and you have to like actually see how generic you are. Suddenly the appeal of an ever, you know, an ever expanding list of labels starts to become a oh, little yeah, more yeah. I mean, on, on MySpace, for example, you would just lay them out, right? Like you would just fucking like with commas, lay out whatever the shit you were into was, but that that's, that's it. And I mean, I think coming from fandoms as you came from a fandom too, like, there would always be the resentment I had when I saw like, like people who were just like suddenly fans appear and I'd like, you know, you weren't like six years old, like skipping time with friends to read the old wrestling magazine. But at the same time, Catherine, I also have gotten, and I realize that I, as much as I have like, you know, roots in this or that fandom, there are people who have deeper roots than me who will, you know, when I when I do a mainstream article that's tied to a fandom, even though I've been a part of it, like, you know, I'm doing a piece, you know, doing this piece on powerlifting, you're doing this piece on this. Well, like, you're not a serious powerlifter, you know, like, you've never, you've never run a steroid cycle, you've never, uh, I mean, you've never, like, you've never placed in nationals, you've never done this, you've, you know what I mean? Like, at that level, like, oh, you know, you're a wrestling nerd, but how many tapes did you earn? Uh, how many tapes did you import from Japan? Like, were you on the Death Valley driver board posting every single day? You know, like, how how deep were you into this? Were you putting aside, were you skipping days of work to, to watch, like, uh, you know, like, the fucking, like, the New Japan, like, Super Juniors on VHS, like, long play? Were you, were you doing that? No, I wasn't at that level. So, right. So you're, you're, you're a casual too. You know what I mean? So like, we're all casuals in some sense, right? Like there's like some, some like er nerd at the very center of each fandom. Who's like the nerdiest nerd, but to everyone else, they're all casuals, right? Like down that line. But that was, that is the, that was the reaction as this began to come up for me where one by one, as they, as this would expand into each of these cultures, uh, some I would just like, I would quit following the fandom at all, but music was one of those. Uh, you know, I realized I was shallow enough that I could let that one go. Fiction was something else, like, you know, other than the occasional book here or there, like new fiction was something I could let go, you know, but it also, you're right. Like it also was interesting. Like these people suddenly realized what I thought, you know, was important all along, which is you should have some damn hobbies but I don't know that like I ever got to have the hobbies where the hobbies, when we talked about it earlier, like these hobbies are sustaining if you have them, right? Like you can yeah. get by, you don't need 50 first dates if you do have the new Japan super juniors, like necessarily, like you can watch that. It streams now on, on Amazon. Like now it's easier, right? Like I use, I just pay nine bucks a month for that, but I can still watch it. Um, 
isn't that, I mean, like, that's really, that's really interesting. Like, so I, I think, I think that enough people don't come up. Uh, and I, I, I think now like that, even in this conversation, I, I have more respect for the fact that my parents pretty much systematically isolated me and forced me to develop hobbies through homeschooling. Like I did, like I was there all alone all day. I had to fill the time till my mom got home. I needed to fill it with hobbies. Yeah. I had to pass the most boring days. I mean, I think a lot of people don't do things because they're interested in them. I mean, I said this on Justin Murphy's podcast where it's like, if you have to take Adderall to pursue your special interest, it's not <laughs> yeah, a special interest, right? There's, yeah. you, you know, there's... I mean, if, you need, if you need Viagra to have the sex, you know, with or you get geared up, right? Like if you need Viagra and like three other things to get ready to roll on that, that might not be the person you're the most into. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just, there's people <laughs> I mean, who don't do things more. for for leisure at all like or just interest or like even you know it's like hard but they get they're getting something out of it i think that like the people do things to add them like i think people read to add it to goodreads they they binge netflix sort of you know like it's not even yeah it's just not even like hedonism it's just like they're doing it because it's that's what they do and that's why no one that's part of like what helps um reinforce like not paying attention to anything because you don't care about anything right to me to watch like a thing and not to uh, like to watch an anime and not read the original manga, and not learn who the creator is, and not like that's just like the first rules of fandom, and not learn each one of these individual bits, right? I just can't bring, I can't bear to do it. I can't bear to like, I can't have a casual interest in any of these things uh, because that was always my like that digging in was always my coping mechanism. But later on, I've realized it actually brings a lot of enjoyment to the hours of the day that are my own. And sometimes I can even, I, I don't necessarily like turning them into work in, in a writing career all the time, but sometimes I don't mind it. You know, there could be worse things that I'm, I'm writing about than that. But like to, to have that great joy of those like actual hobbies, right? Like to me, like, you know, Catherine, something got to me. I, I never drink. I've never, I, I, I've, I've been drunk on a few occasions, but I've never had sips of alcohol otherwise. Like for me, like watching like people in grad school and stuff develop a taste for beer or wine, like, but you know that they don't really have it right. Cause like some people like the taste, but not ev- like, not everybody, not everybody's going to be really into it the way like a true alcoholic, like my father or my stepdad or my grandpa's is like, and they're just kind of sipping beer or whatever. Like they're just in their sipping specific beers, like all oh, this type of IPA or, you know, I'm going on this brew tour or this sort of thing. Like now for some people that might be, and you might have some people that go real deep into like brewing and they buy all the equipment, but I also know some people that have bought that equipment who don't really use it. Yeah. You know, like there's that superficial thing that like some social pressure is pushing them into it. Like yeah. I have a friend who, I have a friend who's into wine, who's like passing the various levels of the taste testing. Now there's someone that's into wine. Like this guy's like a, te- you know, is obsessed with taste. So of course he's, a, I mean, like, to hear, like, there's a hobby I understand. Like, I understand why he's drinking wine. But if you're just kind of doing it as the way we're doing any of these things, like watching Netflix or something like that, if you're not doing it with that sense of trying to achieve some level of mastery or it's a part of your, it's not just like, that's what I actually hate about it. Like, if it's identity, but you're not putting in work to it, like, if you're just saying, this is my identity, say I'm this, I guess the fandom in me is like, no, you're not a fucking fan of this. Well, like, what's, what's, weird, what's weird is like then like fandom becomes something 
at, like it cut like you people do find fandoms but it's not in these things where it should be like it's not it's not in the tv show or the uh you know the video game or anything like that where it makes more sense it's like in politics right and it's like That's, this yeah, weird very strange this, yeah. and this show might be an outgrowth uh, to a certain extent. Your show is an outgrowth. Our existence in this world might be an outgrowth of that. But that's really weird, Catherine. Yeah. And that's why it's like you have people whose whole whose fandom is Twitter. Right. And it's yes. or like this particular corner of Twitter. And that's the that's the only thing where they know all the lore. They know all the details. And but then everything else in their life is like empty and like almost yeah, like nihilistic. There are some people I rely on old heads to tell me sort of the game of, of Twitter or how it emerged. Like there's people I rely on for like, well, what happened with this slice of Twitter in 2016? What happened with this slice? What happened with this slice? So there's like all these separate like old heads too who can tell you about all the feuds and like, well, like X, X and on F was here in 2015 and Lena Del Raytheon was here in 2016 and this name was here. And like, here's the feuds they had in the group DMs when the DMs were launched as a way that you could put multiple people in these. Uh, and like, they know all of this. And I kind of, I, I mean, because I, to a certain extent, you know, we, we talk about this in the show. We have people from this on this show, just as you cover it. Uh, I hear it, but it is, it is, there's a lot of history there. There are people that have been observing the various wars, right? For so long. And like, then there's like people like my co-host who like are the straw stirring the drink of the wars who are studied, you know, like who are part of that fandom, right? Like that, that that's just odd, right? Like that's not the center not, not that it's wrong or right. Nothing's wrong or right in that sense. But like, it's odd that that would be the locus of the fandom. I mean, I guess anything could be. I mean, the corner bar or, or whatever. But like, it's just it is an odd set. It is an odd place to put the fandom. Like, I I mean, politics is is boring. As I I did a whole episode on that that here. It's it's boring and it's kind of dumb in a way. It's necessary and people. It involves a whole lot of, of mechanisms within within the middle class uh, to sort of, uh, you know, make this or that particular thing happen. Uh, but it's not it's not exciting. It's not exciting in the way other things that they captured my attention over time are. But it is well, exciting it's interesting to because like on Twitter in a lot of these circles, I don't I mean, to my I I could be wrong. But so, so for what I have visibility of, people aren't debating specific policies. No, not, or, not you know, it's, it's not it's it's politics. I mean, there, is, there is wonk Twitter. There's the wonks. They do kind of go right. at it, but that's but they're, different. They're, that's not, but that's not the thing that's sort no. of capturing the blogosphere, the Substack class's imagination, right? You know, no, the Substack and, and goofy Twitter or like politics Twitter, that whole thing is like, no, no, we're on that subject. Yeah, it's like very, it's, it's, it's sort of meta. And I think that's why they, they, it's, it's, they stick on the culture war stuff because on some level they know it's not about politics. It's, it's a, it's a game of a different kind. It's only superficially political. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can, they can, you know, they have their lives as such and they argue about these things, but uh, I mean, you don't, we don't, in some, a lot of them, we don't know much about them necessarily, but if you peel back the layers, I mean, you'd probably see a lot of similarities between folks who are, you know, bitter enemies. You know, oh, like, totally. Like in day-to-day life. Uh, yeah. 
And the drama of the group DMs and the drama of, and for folks who have who've listened this deep into the episode, who are into it, who know this thing, like you, you know, some of you might have no idea what we're talking about here, but I think a lot of you who listen to this do know this this world, even if you aren't at that deep into it. It is it is really unusual. Yeah, it's it's it is really weird, and it's isolating too because you want to talk about it in real life. And nobody knows what you're talking about. Not even other people on Twitter will know what you're talking about half the time. It's like a really, it's a, it's, it's, that's why I think it's a fandom because it's the same as like you, you know, you're obsessed with One Direction and you know all the lore. And like some, even someone who likes One Direction and goes to all the concerts isn't going to pick up on all the, the things you're talking about because they're not a fan. Right. So it's a, it's I mean, a, it's a really weird. One that I noticed recently, and it, it doesn't have a negative connotation at all. I just noticed, like, for example, a fandom has formed around the account at Election Legal, that, that guy Pericles, the lawyer in Chicago, who just oh, yeah. posts, who posts kind of weird food pictures and photos of how hairy he is. And like, a, you know, kind of a, a community has formed around the sharing of, of this. It has it had like they came like a lot of those people came from some form of this weird politics Twitter. Like, well, he's in the Red Scare extended universe. Yes, yes, he's a character. Yes, and it has it has formed. It has enough life of its own to be kind of like a bug light for that particular sub sub culture within that. But nobody in the real world, and nobody's listening to this who's like a normie. Like we, you know, one of one of the normie old men guests that we gave a subscription to for coming on here is <laughs> listed this far. Uh, like would have any clue what the hell you and I just said there, like election legal, Red Scare extended universe, food pictures. What does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like they would never say they would also some somebody might say, well, what's the relevance of this? But I mean, it is quite significant. There are thousands of people just in that particular orbit. Right. I mean, the thing that here's the thing then that, that I'm always arguing well, like, I, I feel like this is the exhausted example, but it's just too good to ignore. I mean, does my mom know what Red Scare is? Well, at this point, yes. But like, you know, she didn't in 2018. But they, they, you know, that's they're the first domino. And they created, like, even if the podcast itself, like, you know, quality of the show, you know, irrespective of the quality of the show, like, even if like, they themselves aren't super influential, like, you know, one-to-one, like they, they pushed that first domino and that matters a lot. So when you want to trace the the contours of these scenes, you have to go back to like, well, Red, and, but, but what, in, and then what inspired Red Scare? I mean, there's a whole, the, like I said, there is a Red Scare extended universe and you need to acknowledge how much they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of these things are tied into something that when I more or less like by a total happenstance came from the world of media Twitter to knowing Amy Therese and then came on this show, were it not for the existence of that, this show would not exist as an independent entity because it's tied into the Bernie sphere, the dirtbago sphere, the post lefto sphere, the red scare, which are all in turn, like you, you, if you made Venn diagrams, they like, you would have so many overlapping things of all these things and they have culminated in this which itself has spin-offs into other things that are now larger this or smaller than this or guests that were on here in 2020 
are now people I would never speak to again in 2022, not through any personal malice, but they've just moved on and we've moved on. You're like, like a bad, like an old date or something like that, you know? Um, and then these universes run up against each other because like, like I come from tech Twitter, right. But I've like, I've developed in such a way where like now I like, I'm not, I'm not in the post left or whatever that is. If it, if it is such a thing, I'm not in the right. Neither am I, but this show, the show was, was part of it. The show was, you know, like, like the the show is not in the, this show is in an article about what the post left is. It was like at the beginning of it, but it's not a show because I've tried to figure this out myself. It's not a show shaping the contours of the new right because it's not classified with the shows that are shaping the new right. It was classified with shows that are post left. So I, I guess there's some split and there probably is a clear, clear split, I guess, in that, that sense there. But it's to me, it's, it's all quite just, just observing it as I'm doing it is, is fascinating to me. Like, how could it be? How could it be this? You know what I mean? Like, but, but it is, it is such a thing that it, it has, it has been its thing. It has had people on who are from other like extended universes, uh, crossovers. Every episode is a crossover for the most part with, with some other element of that. The bigger shows are also always crossing over. You know, we will go around on these different shows or you'll go around or other people will go around. I mean, is this, I mean, like, that's very strange. It is, you know, like the, uh, the the creation of culture in that way is is quite fascinating. Like to be able to be self aware about it is at least interesting because you can see, like, well, this is what I'm I'm doing here. I mean, I, I don't know if people like their their entertainment to be so aware of of what it is, uh, but that's always been my like. No matter what field I've been in, that has always been. My my strength and my weakness is I will talk endlessly about what the field is, <laughs> you know, or what the contours of the field are, uh, because like it, it, to just be in it, right, is 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 corny, in my opinion. Like to because you're just you're just mindlessly being in a scene. Now it's you might like be the limiting. king of the scene. It's certainly it's certainly intellectually limiting. It might be greatly rewarding from a sense of like you become the king of the scene. Like we mentioned, king of the incels. You know, like that might be a great thing Although, to be. I've noticed something, and I've said this on Twitter. Like the the smart grifters are people who are now zooming out because they realized the futility of attaching yourself to a scene. So it's like now suddenly it's like suddenly everyone is like reading Marshall McLuhan. It's like, it's like sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like you've been a media studies person this whole time. I bet. Right. You know? well, that's always how it is. Like, Oh, you know, everybody's reading Christopher Lash. Oh, everybody's leading. Everybody's reading Walter Benjamin. At one point, like someone was like, there's a Walter Benjamin culture, like, industrial complex. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, dude, like, if I hadn't been in grad school, like, years ago, I wouldn't have read any of this. I don't care. So, like, that's always been my, like, I will always zag when others are zigging on that. Like, like, if they're reading, whatever is being read now, I'm going to move to something else. That's the, that's the move, though. That's how you stay ahead. You've got, well, like, stay ahead or at least stay interested. To me, it's staying interesting. Like, I I always peek too soon. It's also a good tactic to avoid burning out like because you have to at some point like you i feel like you could choose to like I mean, repetition on these shows is brutal like oh, i totally. totally on like six of these where people kept referencing peter turchin uh and you know it, it collapse uh and these sorts of things like you gotta pull something else out of the fucking sock drawer 
you know, change the dirty sweat sock. It's time to replace that one. Mom's going to find that one. She's going to know what you've been up to, you know, uh, throw that, throw that out. Like you, you have to, I mean, just from an intellectual, like just to have variety, right? Like for me to do these, to do these shows, there was a series of episodes we did on here at one point where I felt like all six of the episodes were the same episode. And I was like, Oh my God, how could I, how could I, how could I do that? You know, like, like, uh, I, I mean, even, even in, even in something like the Jay-Z rap onto the next one, right? Like he notes that you've got to keep moving on to the next one, right? Like you can't just keep making the blueprint over and over and well, over again. I mean, this happens because people, first of all, people aren't even actually reading these texts. No, they're they're just, not just, they have one sentence about them. Right. They, they're not actually interested. They're not actually, the, I think the reason that you can move from thing to thing is because you're at least doing like, as you say in your Twitter, you know, like you're doing the work. You yeah, know? I'm, actually, I'm actually working. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's what that would, that's because people that's see more, more that like, it's about like capturing the audience more and, and performing more than like what the play is. Right. You know, oh, almost certainly like you, you have the, like if you're fighting them over this or that idea, you're splitting them. You're actually going to upset the audience, you know, like, uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, like I've studied that from afar, but I watched that happen. Like the audience doesn't want to split over an actual policy issue between their parasocial friends. They want to, they want varieties of entertainment and crossover episodes. You know, they don't want, they don't want people splitting over, uh, you know, like, should we have a monarch or should we have a parliament? You know, these types of things. They don't want that kind of disagreement. Even that, even that is kind of whimsical, at least, you yeah. know, like, like, let's have the the monarch or the emperor or something like that. Or should we be an empire? Or, uh, you know, uh, should we should we embrace national, you know, all of these sorts of things. They're still kind of abstract and funny, and they don't mean a whole lot, but then, you know, you, you get down into, you get down into brass tacks about, you know, the contents of a particular bill or something like nobody wants to fucking, that's not going to hold your fandom. Right. In any sense, like, like, but, but that's, I, I think, I think that, that you nailed it. Like there, there's, there's constant pivoting and it is interesting to watch the ways that it happens. You know, you have some early adopters, you have people studying that like, uh, and, and I've written about this, you have people studying the takes to pull, is this take hitting? You'll have people send out like, like little signals on Twitter to see like, if this take is going to take, and then I'm going to lean into it. You know, if it goes viral, obviously that's a good sign. You know, right. I'm going to, I see this book getting mentioned, so I'm going to work it into my repertoire. And they do. Uh, or, you know, someone who just doesn't care will tell them about the book. You know, someone just reads books, will tell them. And they're like, you know, from working in marketing full time, this is this is how my, my mind works. Like, I still, I love to read books, but that's just a boring thing I do. But like, like in the marketing sense, like I can, like, I'll, I'll think like, will this book hit? Is somebody going to pick this up because this book will hit? Is this, a, is there a one sentence elevator pitch about this book that you could run through a podcast? Can you run a whole podcast off three books? You sure as hell can. You can run a podcast off three books for three years. Oh, totally. You, you know, you can come on these and for two hours every week, be someone, you know, be their friend and be a pal and be here and hit the same beats and say the same things and predict the same stuff 
even if it doesn't happen, you just push it back, right? Like if you are like making some predictions or something, you keep them vague. But but you know, like you can you can push that stuff out, and that goes for any political stripe or whatever whatever corner of you know, is it dirtbag? Is it this? Is it that? Whatever it is, you can you can do that, uh, and that's that's the most brand safe approach. But you do have to, like you were saying, you do have to start like branching out, and I think it makes sense that they're probably beginning to do uh, you know a little bit of media critique. They should be looking into George Trowell right now in the context of no context i've pushed that book out many times um uh that that's a book they could read in five minutes because it's all one paragraph um observations so it's you know it's a a great book but i've pushed that out Uh, i want to see if that gets into the mix because occasionally you can push something out like at this moment in here that i'll put in the programming notes and you'll see it down the line oh yeah i mean i have no ownership of these things i don't want them but like I push something out on here, like the strength of weakness. I see that all over the takes. The strength of strength versus the strength of weakness. I have not mentioned those terms in two years, but I see them throughout the takes, not tied to me in any way. They're just there. The best trick is to like purposely misrepresent a book and then oh, see yeah. how far that goes. Just like just make something up. And and then it's like I I mean this I feel like this is now That's one of my good. talking one of my talking points to like, I'll like purposely spell things wrong or like purposely misrepresent things and then see where that ends up. And then it, it's to me, it validates that. Like, <laughs> oh, No, I mean, there's a, there's a joy in doing that. Like I would, I would, I was, you know, when I was ghostwriting personal essays about this or that thing online in like the New York observer and places, I would put other people, I would put weird Twitter tweets into the articles as sentences. <laughs> there's a whole section of a thing that I wrote that's like tweets from at Marek, uh, one of, one of the, the, the GOB people, uh, from that, from that podcast. I just took all of those, uh, because that was the person who introduced me to Amy. I just took all of those tweets and wrote a whole paragraph of them, uh, changing a few words here and there, but threw them in this thing. Um, and I do that repeatedly. Whenever I have something like that, I'll just, you know, just to see what will happen. Right. You know, or I'll write, or I'll write the end of like a, a Mel essay myself and I'll be like, I'm going to take three sentences out of Fred Exley's A Fan's Notes, make it my conclusion with a few word changes, and see what happens. Or I'm going to write an essay about the Golden Corral and put three sentences in it from a book called Moscow to the End of the Line and see if anyone notices. And no one ever, like, they, they even if they did, it wouldn't matter. But I'd just do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. that same sort of thing. Like, if you can drop or push something out like that, it, it is, it is, a, it is, there's something in a muse, there's something enjoyable or empowering about, about doing that. I you, always you know? compare it to like, it's like you're tagging a weird animal in the desert, you know? Way back, way, way back in the day, in the early days of Wikipedia, that was something I liked to do was just these simple changes to sentences uh, in, in, in these meaningless entries, just to see how long the tag would stay there. You know, so there's one if people go and look at the Throat in the Game album write-up. In 2009 or 10, you can see in the edit notes that an anonymous user went in there to say that it was based on James Baldwin's semi-autobiographical book, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that that's what Fat Pat based the album on. No, I just wrote that. I also wrote (laughs) that, you know, former Jets wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson said it was his favorite book. Untrue. There's not even a citation for either of those two things. They're still there in 2022. I changed the names of some of the tracks, though, on there, and someone changed them back. 
So someone did fix something, but they left these two sentences in in the explanation of the uh, of the album. There's no way Fat Pat read that book. Keyshawn Johnson never heard that album. Although it'd be interesting if it turned out that he did. But that's exactly that kind of tagging. Like there's, I have all these little tags left over on Wikipedia and my bookmarks that I like to check on to see if they're still in existence. <laughs> you know, they're like my children. You know, I released them into the wild. Uh, at one point, I changed. Uh, I listed Eric King from Dexter. He played uh, Officer Loomis, the bald-headed black guy. I noted that he was an alum of Morehouse College. He is now on several official Morehouse alum college pages, but he did not go there. I think he went to Towson University, but he's now a Morehouse man. I mean, spreading I misinformation is so what easy. Happened. There's a book. He's listed as an alum in a book about 100 years of Morehouse men. I looked on Google Books. It's like, shit, did it. It's like, weird. So benefit. But it's I did weird it. that he... Uh, that he hasn't come out and corrected it. Yeah, you would think your agent or you'd have someone. That's what I try to pick, though. I'm like, I want to hit something, an entry that's like at the level of how important is this? Is it important enough that they're scrutinizing or correcting this? One time somebody changed this. One of the listeners to this show changed the entry to Scenery Hill, Pennsylvania, a home, a town of 500 people where I'm from, to note that I was from there. Like, you know, like some notable writers from there are include Oliver Bateman. That was removed in a day. <laughs> and something like the comment is like, if you go on there and look, it's like, he's an asshole. And hopefully it mean my dad, but because we have the same name. So that was my, my hunch is like, they're like, well, that guy's no fucking author. Um, but that, that was something that had changed. So I'm like, why was that changed? But why are these other... Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't Eric King, somewhat prominent actor, and his Wikipedia it has actually changed back, but some of the Morehouse stuff is still in Morehouse-related things on Wikipedia and in books. Like, it was there for 10 years, so it has it has changed, that his bio has changed, but it didn't change fast enough, and it was left left there for a long time. You know, and bit by bit, some of my changes have gone, but if some are still there. But it's interesting to see, like, what 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 is prioritized in terms of fixing the historical record, and what is not. I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole here, yeah. and it's. But it is it is interesting. Like, I think that it's good to push out misinformation. Yeah, I mean, there's just to see what that's happens. A whole, <clears throat> that's a whole other topic. I mean, there, I'm sure there's a whole like there's tons of historical events or like big events even that are like sort of recent, right? That it's just like completely shaped by like bad CNN reporting. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I immediately looked at, I, I was following a fucking, I, some, some kind of like meaningless heavyweight uh, boxing fight between the Australian boxer, Lucas Brown and this up and coming boxer named junior Fa, who I think is Samoan or something like that. And Lucas Brown's like a fat bald journeyman and Brown knocks him out in one round. So I'm like, I watched that. Then I was like, I'm going to go look at the junior Fa Wikipedia and see if there is one. And there is, and it lists Lucas Brown as his father. But that's only because he sunned him in his in the ring. Somebody did that as a joke. But initially, yeah. my brain is like, Lucas, the, the father-son fight? Why wasn't this mentioned in the commentary? <laughs> but someone had updated it such that, I, I guess, in jest over that. And initially, for like two seconds, I took it as, oh, that's weird. They don't look alike. 
Yeah, you know what I mean? But like that had changed. And so how many historical events, like you said, are the subject of that kind of editing that we, or even like malicious, like we're going to reshape the narrative a little bit editing. And it comes down to just, are the editors getting to it fast enough? Like how many, do they know they might, they might not. I had a funny situation and then I might have to, I, I'm sort of running out of steam. I might have to, to, it's getting late here. It's 1230. So midnight. (laughs) This, so this might be a good place to end. Speaking of confusion and like Google results gone awry. I went to, an art exhibit last night, um, Nick Cave. And right. it, this whole time I'm like going through this, it's like, it's very like racial. It's about black bodies. It's really interesting. It like repurposed antiques. But in my head, I'm like, oh, this is Nick Cave, the white guy who did yeah, this. Yeah, red right hand and all those yeah. things. He's in the birthday party. Um, and I'm like, that's so bold that like he yeah. could have this exhibit in Chicago that's Based just all, yeah. all about black bodies. And then I realized, Oh no, there's another Nick Cave who's a black artist <laughs> who's from Chicago and that's that it's not it's not the Nick, you know, I mean he's another the Nick Nick Cave. And I, I but I but I look I double check I was like is am I am I like hallucinating is like was Nick Cave black and I just didn't know. And, but when I looked up Nick Cave artists like I only got Nick Cave in the bad seeds, right? Like Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Then everybody and That's I was saying, like, how know. often does like just bad C- uh, SEO just like <laughs> shape your experience? If you have the same name as somebody else, uh, probably is pretty limiting. Um, you, you know, like it's uh, that's why you got to get a handle on it. Now, if you search for Oliver Bateman, those results are mostly clean. It's all me. That's good. There's a couple others, but it's it's all me. I'm competing with Tom from MySpace for default friend. <laughs> is that where that's for, like, oh, that was the thing I said at the beginning of the show before we, we go. What, the, what is that? The origin of default friend or what the fuck does no, that mean? That, um, that ties into something like being a default friend means something. Yeah, no, I like, I, I like the word friend and it's, it's in a lot of like friend. And then there's like certain animals that I, I put in my usernames. Um, but default friend was supposed to mean like second best, right? Like you're not, not the friend that you really want to hang out with, just the default friend. Um, and then I went to dinner with someone in, in the Bay and it was so funny. He brought his own meal to the restaurant. <laughs> it was like, what? Really, it was, wow. yeah, it was a, a weird situation, but he was like, Oh, I like this default friend thing. Um, and you know, I had also, there, I had another, I had an events list at the same time. And between that and then like, you know, a, a few, uh, there was like three different things that ended up um, culminating in me just saying like, okay, I will enact the default friend persona and like go hang out with anybody who wants to hang out at any time. And I did this for like a year before I got burnt out on it. Um, so you function as a default friend. Yeah. And then I, I've written, I've written a lot of, a lot about it. it there was like three different events and I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so, so default tired. friend isn't a date. <laughs> no. Just a, it's just a default friend brought to a thing or appearing at a thing. Yeah, it's just like you, you're feeling lonely, and then the person you really want to hang out with, like, can't go see Top Gun with you or whatever. So you call oh, wow. the default friend. Um, that's how, like, I felt in middle school. So that's why I had made it my handle, just sort of like, you know, never the best friend, just the default friend. But then it got reinterpreted among the Bay Area rationalists as being this a positive thing, actually. Um, so they, they want to be default friends. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it was like, there's, there's, two, there's three, there's three events that led up to it. It was like, uh, before I moved to the Bay, someone was like, there's, it's so hard to make friends here and there's no events going on. And then I had this events list to prove that there are events going on. Then this misunderstanding and those three things it was all about sort of proving that you can't make friends and there are things to do. And then it's, I don't know. I was, I was much younger. It was just a, oh. a dumb, a dumb thing. Well, our, our listeners can, if, they, if interested, become default friends, uh, I guess, or apply <laughs> that concept to their their daily lives. Well, Catherine, thanks for being here. All of your stuff will be in the programming notes. Uh, and people on your show can listen to this because I'll, I'll give you the audio and you can you can put it up. So thanks for being here. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs>